Fairy lights for fairy nights. It's time for your bedtime story. Brought to you by me, the Suze. Also brought to you by me, Zelda. Put your PJs on and sit down for a soothing bedtime story. It's not just the devil in the details. What else is lurking? Fairy lights for fairy nights. Well, I didn't want to keep anybody waiting too long. Suze is still, uh, the, 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 I think Discord is installing an update. And I figured, well, what the heck, I can go on and vamp for a couple minutes until she gets on. Uh, this is Fairy Lights for Fairy Nights for uh, May 4th, 2021. I believe this is episode 33? Something like that. And, as if there weren't enough shakeups and announcements on Radio for Humans in the last six, eight months, uh, we're going to have another announcement tonight. But don't worry, it's more of a retooling. Uh, so, and we need to get your guys' input on a few things uh, on how we proceed forward. Because, well, one thing is coming up, and in, in that is Susan's Dragon Boat um, Dragon Boat season is starting up. So that's going to uh, curb her availability on Tuesdays. And uh, also, um, Zelda does not want to do continue on doing uh, live broadcasting. She wants to do podcasting only. The name of the show belongs to Zelda. So we're going to do something different. We're going to find out what... Days, um, we're, we're looking at moving and possibly just doing a three-hour show, maybe still a two-hour show, on Thursday or possibly Sunday. Go back to the Sunday time slot. Um, so we're, we're, you know, I'd like to hear from Foxfire and Livin' what, you know, Thursday, Sunday, what do you think? And then we'll probably put repeats of uh, this, you know, of the new, of the re slightly rebranded show. And it came from Cleveland and whatever else uh, that we add in, and um, and just so you know, we uh, the, it was funny because Susan and Susan keeps pretty meticulous notes about um, ideas that we have because we're always brainstorming about stuff. And the the concept for a show of this nature, where especially where it was like going over like old time radio stuff that was like fantasy kind of stuff. Um, we had this idea. I remember the conversation where we Susan picked me up at work and she was like, oh, wouldn't that be cool to have a show, uh, you know, that talks about, you know, kind of, you know, the old time, you know, or she, I don't even think she mentioned the old time radio stuff. And I was like, well, you know, there's, um, there's all this stuff. There's like the Lux radio theater that did adaptations of things. And there's, you know, just tons of stuff. And of course, let's pretend is something we just encountered not that long ago. And, um, you know, there's just a, a lot of stuff to pick from and hopefully, um, we'll, uh, have fun with it. And, uh, so Carrie's saying Thursday is better. Okay. That's cool. Um, and, um, and Carrie, we still definitely want you to contribute artwork. Um, I think maybe Kiddo might be Zelda's character, but I don't know. It's like kind of a joint creation because I think Susan named it, but Zelda drew it first. I don't know what it is. So, but we still want your contributions art wise. But 
um, you know, we, we, we'll figure that out. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and then, uh, uh, Zelda, I think is planning on continuing, um, with Sue's, uh, at some point by doing a podcast of fairy lights or fairy nights and putting it on iTunes or something like that. I don't know. Um, and, um, so tonight what we were going to do is, um, we want to present to you because we want to finish something on our little run that we've been doing. So for tonight and this Thursday, what we're going to do, we're going to keep the show essentially the same and we'll make an announcement on Thursday about the new name. We already know what it is. Um, but, uh, uh, and I'm sorry that I'm the one who's doing all the talking here, but Susan's having issues with her computer. So, so I guess what I'll do is what we want to do is we want to finish up the marvelous land of Oz. Um, and, uh, it's 24 chapters and we're going to try and get at least up to chapter 17 tonight. And we're starting off with chapter 10 because I just absolutely am loving this story. And I think that would be fun to finish this book on, you know, our run on fairy lights for fairy nights and then move on to, uh, something else. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to queue up. Um, let's see where let's, oh, that's loud. I'm going to queue up chapter 10 of the marvelous land of Oz and go see if I can give Suze a little bit of help with her computer. So here we go, from LibriVox, the same dude. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter 10 The Journey to the Tin Woodman Tip was well-soaked in dripping water from every angle of his body, but he managed to lean forward and shout in the ear of the sawhorse, Keep still, you fool! Keep still! The horse at once ceased struggling and floated calmly upon the surface, its wooden body being as buoyant as a raft. What does the word fool mean? inquired the horse. It is a term of reproach, answered Tip, somewhat ashamed of the expression. I only use it when I'm angry. "'Then it pleases me to be able to call you a fool in return,' said the horse, "'for I did not make the river, nor put it in our way. "'So only a term of reproach is fit for one who becomes angry with me "'for falling into the water.' "'That is quite evident,' replied Tip. "'So I will acknowledge myself in the wrong.' "'Then he called out to the pumpkin head, "'Are you all right, Jack?' There was no reply, so the boy called to the king. Are you all right, your majesty? The scarecrow groaned. I'm all wrong, somehow, he said in a weak voice. How very wet this water is! Tip was bound so tightly by the cord that he could not turn his head to look at his companions. So he said to the sawhorse, Paddle with your legs toward the shore. The horse obeyed, and although their progress was slow they finally reached the opposite river bank at a place where it was low enough to enable the creature to scramble upon dry land. With some difficulty the boy managed to get his knife out of his pocket and cut the cords that bound the riders to one another and to the wooden horse. 
he heard the scarecrow fall to the ground with a mushy sound, and then he himself quickly dismounted and looked at his friend Jack. The wooden body, with its gorgeous clothing, still sat upright upon the horse's back. But the pumpkin head was gone, and only the sharpened stick that served for a neck was visible. As for the scarecrow, the straw in his body had shaken down with the jolting and packed itself into his legs and the lower part of his body, which appeared very plump and round, while his upper half seemed like an empty sack. Upon his head, the scarecrow still wore the heavy crown, which had been sewn on to prevent his losing it. But the head was now so damp and limp that the weight of the gold and jewels sagged forward and crushed the painted face into a mass of wrinkles that made him look exactly like a Japanese pug dog. Tip would have laughed had he not been so anxious about his man Jack. But the scarecrow, however damaged, was all there, while the pumpkin head that was so necessary to Jack's existence was missing. So the boy seized a long pole that fortunately lay near at hand and anxiously turned again toward the river. Far out upon the waters, he sighted the golden hue of the pumpkin, which gently bobbed up and down with the motion of the waves. At that moment, it was quite out of Tip's reach, but after a time, it floated nearer and still nearer until the boy was able to reach it with his pole and drag it to the shore. Then he brought it to the top of the bank, carefully wiped the water from its pumpkin face with his handkerchief, and ran with it to Jack, and replaced the head upon the man's shoulder. Dear me, were Jack's first words, what a dreadful experience! I wonder if water is liable to spoil pumpkins. Tip did not think a reply was necessary, for he knew that the scarecrow also stood in need of his help. So he carefully removed the straw from the king's body and legs and spread it out in the sun to dry. The wet clothing he hung over the body of the sawhorse. If water spoils pumpkins, observed Jack with a deep sigh, then my days are numbered. I've never noticed that water spoils pumpkins, returned Tip, unless the water happens to be boiling. If your head isn't cracked, my friend, you must be in fairly good condition. Oh, my head isn't cracked in the least, declared Jack more cheerfully. Then don't worry, retorted the boy. Care once killed a cat. Then, said Jack seriously, I'm very glad indeed that I am not a cat. The sun was fast drying their clothing, and Tip stirred up his Majesty's straw so that the warm rays might absorb the moisture and make it as crisp and dry as ever. When this had been accomplished, he stuffed the scarecrow into symmetrical shape and smoothed out his face so that he wore his usual gay and charming expression. Thank you very much, said the monarch brightly, as he walked about and found himself to be well balanced. There are several distinct advantages to being a scarecrow, for if one has friends near at hand to repair damages, nothing very serious can happen to you. I wonder if hot sunshine is liable to crack pumpkins, said Jack, with an anxious ring in his voice. Not at all, not at all, replied the scarecrow gaily. All you need fear, my boy, is old age. When your golden youth has decayed, we shall quickly part company. But you needn't look forward to it. We'll discover the fact ourselves and notify you. But come, let us resume our journey. I am anxious to greet my friend, the Tin Woodman. 
So they remounted the sawhorse, Tip holding to the post, and Pumpkinhead clinging to Tip, and the scarecrow with both arms round the wooden form of Jack. Go slowly, for there now is no danger of pursuit, said Tip to his steed. All right, responded the creature in a voice rather gruff. Aren't you a little horse? asked the Pumpkinhead politely. The sawhorse gave an angry prance and rolled one knotty eye backward toward Tip. See here, he grumbled. Can't you protect me from insult? To be sure, answered Tip soothingly. I am sure Jack meant no harm, and it will not do for us to quarrel. You know, we must all remain good friends. I'll have nothing more to do with that pumpkin head, declared the sawhorse viciously. He loses his head too easily to suit me. There seemed no fitting reply to this speech. So for a time they rode along in silence. After a while, the scarecrow remarked, This reminds me of old times. It was upon this grassy knoll that I once saved Dorothy from the stinging bees of the Wicked Witch of the West. Do stinging bees injure pumpkins? asked Jack, glancing round fearfully. They're all dead, so it doesn't matter, replied the scarecrow. And here is where Nick Chopper destroyed the Wicked Witch's gray wolves. Who was Nick Chopper? asked Tip. That is the name of my friend the Tin Woodman, answered His Majesty. And here is where the winged monkeys captured and bound us and flew away with little Dorothy, he continued after they had traveled a little way farther. Do winged monkeys ever eat pumpkins? asked Jack with a shiver of fear. I do not know, but you have little cause to worry, for the winged monkeys are now the slaves of Glenda the Good, who owns the golden cape which commands their services, said the scarecrow reflectively. Then the stuffed monarch became lost in thought, recalling the days of past adventures, and the sawhorse rocked and rolled over the flower strewn fields and carried its riders swiftly upon their way. Twilight fell by and by, and then the dark shadows of night. So Tip stopped the horse, and they all proceeded to dismount. I am tired out, said the boy, yawning wearily, and the grass is soft and cool. Let us lie down here and sleep until morning. I can't sleep, said Jack. I never do, said the scarecrow. I do not even know what sleep is, said the sawhorse. Still, We must have consideration for this poor boy who is made of flesh and blood and bone and gets tired, suggested the scarecrow in his usual thoughtful manner. I remember it was the same way with little Dorothy. We always had to sit through the night while she slept. I'm sorry, said Tip meekly, but I can't help it, and I'm dreadfully hungry too. Here's a new danger, remarked Jack gloomily. I hope you are not fond of eating pumpkins. Not unless they're stewed and made into pies, answered the boy, laughing. So have no fears of me, friend Jack. What a coward that pumpkin head is, said the sawhorse scornfully. You might be a coward yourself if you knew you were liable to spoil, retorted Jack angrily. There, there, interrupted the scarecrow. Don't let us quarrel. We all have our weaknesses, dear friends. So we must strive to be considerate of one another. And since this Poor boy is hungry and has nothing whatever to eat. Let us all remain quiet and allow him to sleep, for it is said that in sleep a mortal may forget even hunger. Thank you, exclaimed Tip gratefully. Your Majesty is fully as good as you are wise, and that is saying a good deal. 
Then he stretched himself upon the grass, and using the stuffed form of the scarecrow for a pillow, was presently fast asleep. End chapter 10. All right. We finished chapter 10. We did. Good job. We did. So, yeah, I was... Uh, I was looking up pictures from the of the characters from the old drawings and i didn't get to play yeah. music at the end there so my apologies i love those drawings as i've said before i'm not sure if i've said that too much but oh um, no I, you I have love so. i think those there's I, one I with got addicted to them as a child looks like there's one with tip and uh yeah and jack so um, but yeah, so, uh, I, I, this is fun, you know, there, you know, there's, uh, the, the flying monkeys were mentioned and, uh, Glinda has a golden cape that controls the flying monkeys. That's interesting. Oh, hmm, I didn't know that. This yeah. is why I'm, I'm loving redoing it because I didn't pick up a lot of these details in fifth grade fourth sure. grade when i was watching the uh, sixth grade i don't know maybe i was too old to be reading these um when i was reading them i don't so, think you're ever too old for these books because they are classics I, I, and you know oh that makes me feel better yeah well it, it's like saying i'm too old to read comic books and we just had that conversation before the show it's like th this we holds, did yeah. this holds my interest because it's introducing new characters in the land of Oz. And, and that's, like I said, the appeal of it is it's really books that are world building and, you know, mm -hmm. and it, they can sustain different characters in, in that world. So not yeah, every there are story. so many characters. Yeah. It's I more mean, like not every story needs Dorothy, you know? Yeah. Well, no, this is, this is a Dorothy-free one, if I am right. But mm -hmm. pay attention to everything, because things are happening here. And um, these are characters, you know, that are important, but things are, things are going to happen. But, um, yeah, I love Jack Pumpkinhead, Tip. It's, it's like I've said before, you know, it, it reminds me of... Um, you know, they just keep introducing characters. It kind of reminds me of um, superheroes, your superhero yeah. books, because yeah. you just kept getting more characters, getting more crime fighters. Mm -hmm. Everybody is kind of like, they kept throwing in new characters for fun. They have different abilities. And that's how Oz is. They just kept throwing in new characters with different abilities and different origin stories. And and they, mm -hmm. you know, like comic books, they love a an origin story and then seeing how they interact, which yeah. I think is kind of like life, you know, kind of like a, you know, a, a family romance story, you know, in a way. Sure. Yeah. Or yeah. yeah. You know. But yeah, it's a, uh, you know, it's its own little pantheon kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. It, ha it, like I said, it, that has an appeal to me that I like things with lots of characters that's why, you know, I was so impressed, uh, except for the last season of Game of Thrones. Um, you know, <laughs> that, we Don't get me started. Um, but yeah. I, I really enjoy television shows and movies. And that's why I think, it, you know, um, for the longest time, you know, what if you look at the Wizard of Oz movie, what they did is they did 
um, they, they, they boiled down, the, boiled it down to the basics. You know, mm-hmm. of course they made it look beautiful and vibrant and stylized yeah. and everything. Um, uh, with the special effects abilities that they had, they kept, you know, if you look at the way they did the Tin Woodsman and, you know, what he actually looks like, not too far off. Um, they mm-hmm. had to stick a human in there. They couldn't do it CGI. They could have yeah. maybe done a puppet, maybe done stop motion or something, but, um. And I, I, I like that too. That's yeah. a good point. And, but, but I like, you know, I like the long conversations with characters that you didn't get in the movie, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and and I think that, I think people have, for the longest time, that's what you would get when things were adapted and put on screen with like comic book movies or movies based on children's literature or uh, even novels and things like that. You know, people always complain about what was left out of the Lord of the Rings and, you know, or the, mm-hmm. even, even the animated ones and, um, you know, or, oh, this is what happened in the book. You got to read the book. Oh, the Stephen King, you know, whatever, this, that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I think that a lot of that came from um, pandering to audiences, thinking, you know, they don't, oh, need, yeah. they don't need all this. They don't need all this detail. But now it's kind of been flipped on its head. And if you look at, you know, again, just the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a good example, um, they'll throw a million characters at you and they know that you're going to remember who they are. And if there's some that you care about more than others, that's great. But, you know, it's all, you know, it's all part of the same world. And that's, again, what the appeal is here. Um, But, yeah, I don't know if you want to say a couple words about, you know, uh, what we're doing. I was just going to say, if you bring in that... um what you're saying is uh, a lot of things are written in the 20th century. We're, right, we're in the 21st century, right? Currently, yes. Okay. So in the 20th century, this is just as the 20th century is beginning, a lot of things are written for the movies. They're written for plays. They're written for visuals. Mm-hmm. And this is not. It's written on imagination. They're just, they're, they're not saying, hmm, should we make a character that's called Jack Pumpkinhead because that's going to be impossible to render on a play on a, you know, a theater for the theater or in a movie. Mm-hmm. No, we're going to just, he's just writing it, you know, yeah. which is pure. I think, um, of course now we can do that stuff with CGI or we can, I say they can, whatever. But, um, the thing is they're, they're making, th- he's making things more of imagination and how he wants them to be which is is good you know but um yeah like i said it is character driven and then these characters interact and they have uh different motivations and things like that but um yeah let's let's keep uh going through the oz uh what else did you want me to bring up oh i just was gonna say if you want to make mention of uh where we're you know uh well carrie says that uh foxfire 505 of course uh, mm-hmm. saying Thursdays might be better since, you know, you've got Dragon Boats coming yeah. up. Yeah. So I think we'll probably yeah. le- lean towards doing Thursdays uh, for our new show. And, and, of course, we'll announce the name of the new show. And then uh, whenever Zelda's ready to bring yeah. back Fairy Lights or Fairy Nights, that'll return in a podcast in, in whatever idiom yeah. uh, she chooses. Yeah. And, um, you know, she had some requests on how things could go back to what we were doing before. So we're just, um, you know, trying to make everyone happy. 
But we were looking, Ken and I were looking at notes we had from um, year before last. And uh, we were saying, oh, well, this is the direction we wanted to go. So we were, we're excited to bring you, we're going to continue to bring you live um, podcasts. Is, yeah, that, is this live, a live podcast? Well, a li- I guess live, it's a live podcast. No, it's a live program, which will be live turned, program. Okay. turned into a podcast at some point. Great. Um, I don't know. Whatever. So I don't know what okay. words to use as usual. But um we're gonna keep doing it live. So yeah, yeah and, and there like I said, um Livin is saying he's reading the Wikipedia article on the Return to Oz movie, which is interesting. You know, it's it's an interesting movie. I watched it. I didn't good, think movie, it was yeah. everything I dreamed it would be. I don't think the movies have ever quite um shown the the land of oz i felt was in the books which is a very pure and simple and beautiful representation um of something that's very turn of the century very anti-industrial um you know like that's but i don't know if if a movie can represent that um but yeah, like like I said, the the readings of the books I think are are just fascinating, and we'll have more. Yeah, and um, there are things that I I was looking on that Wikipedia article of all of Frank L. Bon, uh, Frank Baum's writings, and there are things like the, he did a cartoon I never even heard of. All right, there's stuff I haven't even seen, so yeah. I'm excited about that because I really love the world he created. And mm-hmm. look at these little cutie pictures. Yeah, I'm, I'm digging so, for more pictures as we listen. So um, Yeah, which is awesome. To enrich the so exper- are we gonna... experience uh, in the chat. Yeah. Um, so today is the 33rd, 33rd Fairy Lights for Fairy Nights, which we are going to uh, tickle you about what we're going to give you in the future. Who knows what you'll get? Um, but this is the 33rd podcast, and we're going to go on and... Uh, you want to do chapter 11? Is it chapter 11? Yeah, we want to try and uh, get through uh, all of the chapters between now and um, Thursday uh, until we in, 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 until we retool for the following Thursday. So, yeah, let's... Yeah. Um, and that's going to be going through the second book by Alfred Baum, which is yeah. The Marvelous Land of Oz, sometimes called The Land of Oz. Well, this is... This and, is yeah, we're, we're listening to Marvelous Land of Oz right now. Yeah, that's what, I, and we're gonna oh. get through, get to that. Okay. All right. So yeah. So this so. is uh, chapter eleven. Uh, Nickel-plated emperor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter 11 A Nickel-Plated Emperor Tip awoke soon after dawn, but the scarecrow had already risen and plucked with his clumsy fingers a double handful of ripe berries from some bushes nearby. These the boy ate greedily, finding them an ample breakfast, and afterward the little party resumed its journey. After an hour's ride, they reached the summit of a hill from whence they espied the city of the Winkies, 
and noted the tall domes of the emperor's palace rising from the clusters of more modest buildings. The scarecrow became greatly animated at this sight and exclaimed, How delighted I shall be to see my old friend the Tin Woodman again! I hope that he rules his people more successfully than I have ruled mine. Is the Tin Woodman the emperor of the Winkies? asked the horse. Yes, indeed. They invited him to rule over them soon after the Wicked Witch was destroyed. And as Nick Chopper has the best heart in all the world, I am sure he has proved an excellent and able emperor. I thought that emperor was the title of a person who rules an empire, said Tip, and the country of the Winkies is only a kingdom. Don't mention that to the Tin Woodman, exclaimed the Scarecrow earnestly. You would hurt his feelings terribly. He is a proud man, as he has every reason to be, and it pleases him to be termed emperor rather than king. I'm sure it makes no difference to me, replied the boy. The sawhorse now ambled forward at a pace so fast that its riders had hard work to stick upon its back, so there was little further conversation until they drew up beside the palace steps. An aged Winky, dressed in a uniform of silver cloth, came forward to assist them to alight. Said the scarecrow to his personage, "Show us at once to your master, the emperor." The man looked from one to another of the party in an embarrassed way and finally answered, "I fear I must ask you to wait for a time. The emperor is not receiving this morning." "How is that?" inquired the scarecrow anxiously. "I hope nothing has happened to him." Oh no, nothing serious," returned the man. "But this is His Majesty's day for being polished, and just now his August present is thickly smeared with Putz pomade." "Oh, I see!" cried the scarecrow, greatly reassured. "My friend was ever inclined to be a dandy, and I suppose he is now more proud than ever of his personal appearance." "He is indeed," said the man with a polite bow. Our emperor has lately caused himself to be nickel-plated. Good gracious! The scarecrow exclaimed at hearing this. If his wit bears the same polish, how sparkling it must be! But show us in. I am sure the emperor will receive us even in his present state. The emperor's state is always magnificent," said the man. "But I will venture to tell you. But I will venture to tell him of your arrival, and will receive his commands concerning you." So the party followed the servant into a splendid anteroom, and the sawhorse ambled awkwardly after them, having no knowledge that a horse might be expected to remain outside. The travellers were at first somewhat awed by their surroundings, and even the scarecrow seemed impressed as he examined the rich hangings of silver cloth, caught up into knots and fastened with tiny silver axes. Upon a handsome centre table stood a large silver oil can. Richly engraved with scenes from the past adventures of the Tin Woodman, Dorothy, the Cowardly Lion, and the Scarecrow, the lines of the engraving being traced upon the silver in yellow gold. On the walls hung several portraits, that of the Scarecrow seeming to be the most prominent and carefully executed, while the large painting of the famous Wizard of Oz, in act of presenting the Tin Woodman with a heart. Covered almost one entire end of the room. While the visitors gazed at these things in silent admiration, they suddenly heard a loud voice in the next room exclaim, 
Well, 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 what a surprise! And then the door burst open, and Nick Chopper rushed into their midst and caught the scarecrow in a close and loving embrace that creased him into many folds and wrinkles. My dear old friend, my noble companion, cried the Tin Woodman joyfully, how delighted I am to meet you once again! And then he released the scarecrow and held him at arm's length while he surveyed the beloved painted features. But alas, the face of the scarecrow and many portions of his body bore great blotches of the put's pomade, for the tin woodman, in his eagerness to welcome his friend, had quite forgotten the condition of his toilet, and had rubbed the thick coating of paste from his own body to that of his comrade. Dear me, said the scarecrow dolefully, what a mess I'm in. Never mind, my friend, returned the tin woodman. I'll send you to my imperial laundry, and you'll come out as good as new. "'Won't I be mangled?' asked the scarecrow. "'No, indeed,' was the reply. "'But tell me, how came your majesty here, and who are your companions?' The scarecrow, with great politeness, introduced Tip and Jack Pumpkinhead, and the latter personage seemed to interest the tin woodman greatly. "'You are not very substantial, I must admit,' said the emperor. "'But you are certainly unusual, and therefore worthy to become a member of our select society.' "'I thank your majesty,' said Jack humbly. "'I hope you are enjoying good health,' continued the woodman. "'At present, yes,' replied the pumpkin-head with a sigh. "'But I am in constant terror of the day when I shall spoil.' "'Nonsense,' said the emperor, but in a kindly, sympathetic tone. Do not, I beg of you, dampen today's sun with the showers of tomorrow, for before your head has time to spoil, you can have it canned, and in that way it may be preserved indefinitely. Tip, during this conversation, was looking at the woodman with undisguised amazement, and noticed that the celebrated emperor of the Winkies was composed entirely of pieces of tin, neatly soldered and riveted together into the form of a man. He rattled and clanked a little as he moved, but in the main he seemed to be most cleverly constructed, and his appearance was only marred by the thick coating of polishing paste that covered him from head to foot. The boy's intense gaze caused the tin woodman to remember that he was not in the most presentable condition, so he begged his friends to excuse him while he retired to his private apartment and allowed his servants to polish him. This was accomplished in a short time, and when the emperor returned, his nickel-plated body shone so magnificently that the scarecrow heartily congratulated him on his improved appearance. "'That nickel-plate was, I confess, a happy thought,' said Nick, "'and it was the more necessary because I had become somewhat scratched during my adventurous experiences. You will observe this engraved star upon my left breast.' It not only indicates where my excellent heart lies, but covers very neatly the patch made by the wonderful wizard when he placed that valued organ in my breast with his skillful hands. "'Is your heart then a hand-organ?' asked the pumpkin-head curiously. "'By no means,' responded the emperor with dignity. "'It is, I am convinced, a strictly orthodox heart, although somewhat larger and warmer than most people possess.' Then he turned to the scarecrow and asked, "'Are your subjects happy and contented, my dear friend?' "'I cannot say,' was the reply, "'for the girls of Oz have risen in revolt "'and driven me out of the Emerald City.' 
"'Great goodness!' cried the tin woodman. "'What a calamity! "'They surely do not complain of your wise and gracious rule!' "'No, but they say it is a poor rule that don't work both ways,' answered the scarecrow. "'And these females are also of the opinion that men have ruled the land long enough.' So they have captured my city and robbed the treasury of all its jewels and are running things to suit themselves. Dear me, what an extraordinary idea! cried the emperor, who was both shocked and surprised. And I heard some of them say, said Tip, that they intend to march here and capture the castle in the city of the Tin Woodman. Oh, we must not give them time to do that, said the emperor quickly. We will go at once and recapture the Emerald City and place the Scarecrow again upon his throne. I was sure you would help me, remarked the Scarecrow in a pleased voice. How large an army can you assemble? We do not need an army, replied the woodman. We four, with the aid of my gleaming axe, are enough to strike terror into the hearts of the rebels. We five, corrected the pumpkin head. Five, repeated the tin woodman. Yes, the sawhorse is brave and fearless, answered Jack, forgetting his recent quarrel with the quadruped. The tin woodman looked round him in a puzzled way, for the sawhorse had until now remained quietly standing in a corner, where the emperor had not noticed him. Tip immediately called the odd-looking creature to them, and it approached so awkwardly that it nearly upset the beautiful center table and the engraved oil can. I began to think remarked the tin woodman as he looked earnestly at the sawhorse that wonders will never cease how came this creature alive i did it with a magic powder modestly asserted the boy and the sawhorse has been very useful to us he enabled us to escape the rebels added the scarecrow then we must surely accept him as a comrade declared the emperor a live sawhorse is a distinct novelty and should prove an interesting study. Does he know anything? Well, I cannot claim any great experience in life, the sawhorse answered for himself, but I seem to learn very quickly, and often it occurs to me that I know more than any of those around me. Perhaps you do, said the emperor, for experience does not always mean wisdom, but time is precious just now, so let us quickly make preparations to start upon our journey. The emperor called his lord high chancellor and instructed him how to run the kingdom during his absence. Meanwhile, the scarecrow was taken apart, and the painted sack that served him for a head was carefully laundered and restuffed with the brains originally given him by the great wizard. His clothes were also cleaned and pressed by the imperial tailors, and his crown polished and again sewed upon his head, for the tin woodman insisted he should not renounce this badge of royalty. The scarecrow now presented a very respectable appearance, and although in no way addicted to vanity, he was quite pleased with himself and strutted a trifle as he walked. While this was being done, Tip mended the wooden limbs of Jack Pumpkinhead and made them stronger than before, and the sawhorse was also inspected to see if he was in good working order. Then, bright and early the next morning, they set out upon the return journey to the Emerald City, the tin woodman bearing upon his shoulder a gleaming axe and leading the way, while the pumpkin head rode upon the sawhorse and Tip and the scarecrow walked upon either side to make sure that he didn't fall off or become damaged. 
End chapter 11。OK， so there we go。We were、um, ousted out of the Emerald City for the political coup. Went to the Wiki, Winky County, met the Emperor, hooked up with the Emperor. Pretty good for a nonviolent coup. Yeah, right. Not, not bad, and you know, uh, uh, good to、uh, you know use your old connections. <laughs> Lose your use your old connections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Gonna go. I mean, I didn't. I, you know, when I read this, I was kind of like. Oh, what's going on here? But you know, it is not too upsetting to、mm-hmm. um, let children here. You know, no,、There、but it, but it, yeah, it, exactly. It's it's um, an insurrection has happened, though. Yeah, it yeah, kind it, of happens. It's kind of it was an insurrection. Yeah, it's just it's a it's a highly detailed kind of story arc,、um, mm-hmm. versus what you know a lot of children's literature at the time was. You know, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, it's a you know there's there's some politics going on. That's for sure. That's for sure. Well,、um, shall we stroll along to、um, chapter twelve? Yeah, sure. You want to throw it down? You don't have any other. Comments about、um, current politics on, on no. this? <laughs> no, not current no. politics. Hell no. Well,、um, luckily the gun wasn't loaded. You know、yeah. when the insurrection happened. Oh, but you asked earlier if we were in the the twenty first century. Yes, and we just recently got out of I think the eighteenth or nineteenth、uh, in January.、Um, so. Oh, okay. See. Yeah, I see I always、there. mess up. No, I'm making a joke.、Goes. I'm making a joke about what、okay. the political state used to be. Oh, okay, I understand.、Uh, throwback, anti-progress.、Uh, this says、mm-hmm. uh, Mr. H. M. Wogglebug. Yeah, he's、P-E. the dude. He's the、so. dude, and this is、um, Michelle's favorite character. She said the other day.、Um, so you're going on to chapter twelve.、Um, chapter twelve. He is a little, a bit of a. He pontificates. He's a professor kind of guy.、Oh, He's a、okay. a learned bug.、Oh. So yeah, she's fond of him. Um. So we'll see what you.、Oh, this is introduction. This yeah, is a this LibriVox、character. recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer. Please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum, Chapter Twelve. Mister H. M. Wogglebug, T. E. Now General Ginger, who you will remember commanded the Army of Revolt, was rendered very uneasy by the escape of the Scarecrow from the Emerald City. She feared, and with good reason. That if His Majesty and the Tin Woodman joined forces, it would mean danger to her and her entire army, for the people of Oz had not yet forgotten the deeds of these famous heroes, who had passed successfully through so many startling adventures. 
So Ginger sent post-haste for old Mombi, the witch, and promised her large rewards if she would come to the assistance of the rebel army. Mombi was furious at the trick Tip had played upon her as well as at his escape and the theft of the precious powder of life. So she needed no urging to induce her to travel to the Emerald City to assist Ginger in defeating the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodman, who made Tip one of their friends. Mombi had no sooner arrived at the royal palace than she discovered by means of her secret magic that the adventurers were starting upon their journey to the Emerald City. So she retired to a small room high up in the tower, and locked herself in while she practiced such arts as she could command to prevent the return of the Scarecrow and his companions. That was why the Tin Woodman presently stopped and said, "'Something very curious has happened. I ought to know by heart and every step of this journey. Yet I fear we have already lost our way.' "'That is quite impossible,' protested the Scarecrow. "'Why do you think, my dear friend, that we have gone astray?' "'Why, here before us is a great field of sunflowers, "'and I never saw this field before in all my life.' "'At these words they all looked around, "'only to find that they were indeed surrounded by a field of tall stalks, "'every stalk bearing at its top a gigantic sunflower,' And not only were these flowers almost blinding in their vivid hues of red and gold, but each one whirled around upon its stalk like a miniature windmill, completely dazzling the vision of the beholders, and so mystifying them that they knew not which way to turn. "'It's witchcraft!' exclaimed Tip. While they paused, hesitating with wonder, the tin woodman uttered a cry of impatience and advanced with swinging axe to cut down the stalks before him. But now the sunflowers suddenly stopped their rapid whirling, and the travelers plainly saw a girl's face appear in the center of each flower. These lovely faces looked upon the astonished band with mocking smiles, and then burst into a chorus of merry laughter at the dismay their appearance caused. "'Stop! Stop!' cried Tip, seizing the woodman's arm. "'They're alive! They're girls!' At that moment... The flowers began whirling again, and the faces faded away and were lost in the rapid revolutions. The tin woodman dropped his axe and sat down upon the ground. "'It would be heartless to chop down those pretty creatures,' said he despondently. "'Yet I do not know how else we can proceed upon our way.' "'They look to me strangely like the faces of the army of revolt,' mused the scarecrow. "'But I cannot conceive how the girls could have followed us here so quickly.' "'I believe it's magic,' said Tip positively, "'and that someone is playing a trick upon us. "'I've known an old Mombi to do things like that before. "'Probably it's nothing more than an illusion, "'and there are no sunflowers here at all.' "'Then let us shut our eyes and walk forward,' suggested the woodman. "'Excuse me,' replied the scarecrow. "'My eyes are not painted to shut.' "'Because you happen to have tin eyelids, you must not imagine we are all built the same way.' "'And the eyes of the sawhorse are not eyes,' said Jack, leaning forward to examine them. "'Nevertheless, you must ride quickly forward,' commanded Tip. "'And we will follow after you, and so try to escape. "'My eyes are already so dazzled that I can scarcely see.' 
So the pumpkin head rode boldly forward, and Tip grasped the stub tail of the sawhorse and followed with closed eyes. The scarecrow and the tin woodman brought up the rear, and before they had gone many yards, a joyful shout from Jack announced that the way was clear before them. Then all paused to look backward, but not a trace of the field of sunflowers remained. More cheerfully, now they proceeded upon their journey, but old Mombi had so changed the appearance of the landscape that they would surely have been lost had not the scarecrow wisely concluded to take their direction from the sun. For no witchcraft could change the course of the sun, and it was therefore a safe guide. However, other difficulties lay before them. The sawhorse stepped into a rabbit hole and fell to the ground. The pumpkin head was pitched high into the air, and his history would probably have ended at that exact moment. Had not the tin woodman skillfully caught the pumpkin as it descended and saved it from injury. Tip soon had it fitted to the neck again and replaced Jack upon his feet, but the sawhorse did not escape so easily, for when his leg was pulled from the rabbit hole, it was found to be broken short off and must be replaced or repaired before he could go a step farther. This is quite serious, said the tin woodman. If there were trees nearby, I might soon manufacture another leg for this animal, but I cannot see even a shrub for miles around. And there are neither fences nor houses in this part of the land of Oz, added the scarecrow disconsolately. Then what shall we do? inquired the boy. I suppose I must start my brains working, replied His Majesty the Scarecrow. For experience has taught me that I can do anything if I but take time to think it out. Let us all think, said Tip, and perhaps we shall find a way to repair the sawhorse. So they sat in a row upon the grass and began to think, while the sawhorse occupied itself by gazing curiously upon its broken limb. Does it hurt? asked the tin woodman in a soft, sympathetic voice. Not in the least, returned the sawhorse, but my pride is injured to find that my anatomy is so brittle. For a time the little group remained in silent thought. Presently the tin woodman raised his head and looked over the fields. What sort of creature is that which approaches us? he asked wonderingly. The others followed his gaze and discovered coming toward them the most extraordinary object they had ever beheld. It advanced quickly and noiselessly over the soft grass, and in a few minutes stood before the adventurers and regarded them with an astonishment equal to their own. The scarecrow was calm under all circumstances. Good morning, he said politely. The stranger removed his hat with a flourish, bowed very low, and then responded. Good morning, one and all. I hope you are, as an aggregation, enjoying excellent health. Permit me to present my card. With this courteous speech, it extended a card toward the scarecrow, who accepted it, turned it over and over, and handed it with a shake of his head to Tip. The boy read aloud Mr. H. M. Wogglebug, T. E. Dear me! ejaculated the pumpkin head, staring somewhat intently. How very peculiar! said the tin woodman. Tip's eyes were round and wondering, 
and the sawhorse uttered a sigh and turned away its head. Are you really a woggle bug? inquired the scarecrow. Most certainly, my dear sir, answered the stranger briskly. Is not my name upon the card? It is, said the scarecrow, but may I ask what H.M. stands for? H.M. means highly magnified, returned the woggle bug proudly. Oh, I see, the scarecrow viewed the stranger critically. And are you, in truth, highly magnified? Sir, said the wogglebug, I take you for a gentleman of judgment and discernment. Does it not occur to you that I am several thousand times greater than any wogglebug you ever saw before? Therefore it is plainly evident that I am highly magnified, and there is no good reason why you should doubt the fact. Pardon me, returned the scarecrow. My brains are slightly mixed since I was last laundered. Would it be improper for me to ask also what the T.E. at the end of your name stands for? Those letters express my degree, answered the wogglebug with a condescending smile. To be more explicit, the initials mean that I am thoroughly educated. Oh, said the scarecrow, much relieved. Tip had not yet taken his eyes off this wonderful personage. What he saw was a great, round, bug-like body supported upon two slender legs, which ended in delicate feet, the toes curling upward. The body of the wogglebug was rather flat, and judging from what could be seen of it, was of a glistening dark brown color upon the back, while the front was striped with alternate bands of light brown and white, blending together at the edges. Its arms were fully as slender as its legs, and, upon a rather long neck, was perched its head, not unlike the head of a man, except that its nose ended in a curling antenna, or feeler, and its ears, from the upper points, bore antennae that decorated the sides of its head like two miniature curling pigtails. It must be admitted that the round, black eyes were rather bulging in appearance, but the expression upon the wogglebug's face was by no means unpleasant. For dress, the insect wore a dark blue swallowtail coat with a yellow silk lining and a flower in the buttonhole, a vest of white duck that stretched tightly across the wide body, knickerbockers, a fawn-colored plush fastened at the knees with gilt buckles and perched upon its head, was jauntily set a tall silk hat. Standing upright before our amazed friends, the wogglebug appeared to be fully as tall as the tin woodman, and surely no bug in all the land of Oz had ever attained so enormous a size. I confess, said the scarecrow, that your abrupt appearance has caused me surprise, and no doubt has startled my companions. I hope, however, that this circumstance will not distress you. We shall probably get used to in time. We shall probably get used to you in time. Do not apologize, I beg of you," returned the wogglebug earnestly. "It affords me great pleasure to surprise people, for surely I cannot be classed with ordinary insects, and am entitled to both curiosity and admiration from those I meet." "You are indeed," agreed His Majesty. "If you will permit me to seat myself in your august company." Continued the stranger, "I will gladly relate my history, so that you will be better able to comprehend my unusual—may I say, remarkable—appearance."
You may say what you please, answered the tin woodman briefly. So the wogglebug sat down upon the grass, facing the little group of wanderers, and told them the following story. End chapter 12. Oh boy. I can't stand the suspense. What's the story? Well, the highly educated. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could put H E after my name, right? I think T E after. Susan Pick, H E, highly educated. I think it's T E at the end of his name. T E, thoroughly educated. You're right. Yeah. You're right. So, highly magnified, thoroughly educated. Oh well, (laughs) not really thoroughly educated. I just went through four years of college. Uh, but yeah, no so, masters in anything. So this is fun. Go ahead. Uh, I, I I love the description. Yeah. I, re- I reposted the picture of the woggle bug, and the, yeah. the illustration is uh, matches uh, perfectly the description. So he's a little cutie. Yeah. Yeah. So get that little. I forget nose. the story he tells. I have no idea. Well, no idea. That's something for hour two. <laughs> yeah. Um. And keep in mind, if you enjoy the programming here on Radio for Humans, that on Friday, you do get, uh, it came from Cleveland. Oh, this Friday is a special one, too. We're going to be talking deep dive into several episodes of the classic, the TV classic, Kolchak the Night Stalker, and... yeah. We'll be touching upon the two films that uh, came before the 20 episode television series. So yeah. we're very excited about that. And um, I'm getting a little, I'm getting a little hooked on Kolchak the Night Stalker. I'm getting it. So it's, it's interesting. Well, I don't. Big inspiration think, for a lot of uh, a lot of current uh, television programs. I don't think they did enough research, but I do think. That it, it is an interesting story, interesting characters, and, uh, you know, it yeah. just scratches the surface of all it would become, mm-hmm. but still, still interesting, well, those little scratches. Darren McGavin's birthday is um, Friday the 7th, so yeah. in celebration of his his birthday uh he we hear he he did has passed away many years ago but um we don't celebrate deaths we celebrate births of people that came into this world which is smart is smart it's very yeah. kind cuz everyone loves their birthday most yeah. people do so for people's birthdays our presents is we recap some of their career so but which is um neat. let's go ahead and uh, go to the break and okay. when we come back, we'll find out uh, what our little bug friend has to say. Fairy lights for fairy nights. It's time for your bedtime story. Brought to you by me, the Suze. Also brought to you by me, Zelda. Put your PJs on and sit down for a soothing 
bedtime story. It's not just the devil in the details. What else is lurking? Fairy lights for fairy nights. if Suze is back at her computer or not, but I am. Welcome back. We're uh, doing a deep dive into the marvelous land of Oz. We're going to try and finish up the whole book for you guys between uh, tonight and Thursday before we make some slight programming changes. Might run a little bit long tonight. We shall see. I just don't want to miss Green Acres, though. <laughs> What time is Green Acres on? 9.30? Something like that. Yeah. So, uh, they're, they're, the f c uh, series finale is this Friday on MeTV. I hope they start it over from the beginning. I hope they don't replace it with something else, because I'd like to watch them all again. Uh, are you there, Suze? <laughs> Guess not. Um, so, alright, I will go ahead and, uh, well, I don't want her to miss the Wogglebug story, so I'll, uh, continue vamping. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but Friday night on, it came from Cleveland, as I said, we're gonna do a deep dive on Kolchak, we're gonna have, uh, the, um, Twilight Zone review of A Stop at Willoughby from 1960. It's gonna be very exciting. Which is very exciting. Ohio's yeah. got a Willoughby. Oh, yeah. That's right. So, we got one. Uh, but yeah, so, but we're gonna try and go as, as deep as we can on the Kolchak stuff because that's really fun. Nice. Um, I, I'm gonna check in with my co-hosts uh, tomorrow and figure out exactly what we're doing uh, we always have a Wednesday powwow before Friday until, you know, because unlike doing the shows before, I really like to be more prepared now, especially since it's not about current events, because current events, you know, you, you can kind of roll with it as things unfold. But when you're doing something that's already established history, entertainment history or whatever, you've got to do a little bit of research. So, all right, Suze, are you ready for the the Wogglebug? And uh, all, I think, um, I think uh, Foxfire is about ready to do a kiddo drop for us too. Oh, so, nice! So That's that'll awesome. Be exciting. And yeah. um, and I'll start doing some coloring. Uh, yeah. Shortly. So um, nice. Here we go uh, with uh, the marvelous Land of Oz, Chapter Thirteen. Highly. Magnified History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum. Chapter 13 A Highly Magnified History. It is but honest that I should acknowledge at the beginning of my recital that I was born an ordinary wogglebug, began the creature in a frank and friendly tone. Knowing no better, I used my arms as well as my legs for walking, and crawled under the edges of stones or hid among the roots of grasses with no thought beyond finding a few insects smaller than myself to feed upon. The chill nights rendered me stiff and motionless, for I wore no clothing. 
but each morning the warm rays of the sun gave me new life and restored me to activity. A horrible existence this is, but you must remember it is the regular ordained existence of wogglebugs, as well as many other tiny creatures that inhabit the earth. But destiny had singled me out, humble though I was, for a grander fate. One day I crawled near to a country schoolhouse, and my curiosity being excited by the monotonous hum of the students within, I made bold to enter. and creeped along a crack between two boards until I reached the far end, where, in front of a hearth of glowing embers, sat the master at his desk. No one noticed so small a creature as a wogglebug, and when I found that the hearth was even warmer and more comfortable than the sunshine, I resolved to establish my future home beside it. So I found a charming nest between two bricks and hid myself therein for many, many months. Professor Know-it-all is doubtless the most famous scholar in the land of Oz, and after a few days I began to listen to the lectures and discourses he gave his pupils. Not one of them was more attentive than the humble, unnoticed Wogglebug, and I acquired in this way a fund of knowledge that I will myself confess is simply marvelous. That is why I place T.E., thoroughly educated, upon my cards, For my greatest pride lies in the fact that the world cannot produce another wogglebug with a tenth part of my own culture and erudition. I do not blame you, said the scarecrow. Education is a thing to be proud of. I'm educated myself. The mess of brains given me by the great wizard is considered by my friends to be unexcelled. Nevertheless, interrupted the tin woodman, A good heart is, I believe, much more desirable than education or brains. To me, said the sawhorse, a good leg is more desirable than either. Could seeds be considered in the light of brains? inquired the pumpkin head abruptly. Keep quiet, commanded Tip sternly. Very well, dear father, answered the obedient Jack. The wogglebug listened patiently, even respectfully, to these remarks, and then, resumed his story. I must have lived fully three years in that secluded schoolhouse hearth, said he, drinking thirstily of the ever-flowing fount of limpid knowledge before me. Quite poetical, commented the scarecrow, nodding his head approvingly. But one day, continued the bug, a marvelous circumstance occurred that altered my very existence and brought me to my present pinnacle of greatness. The professor discovered me in the act of crawling across the hearth, and before I could escape he caught me between his thumb and forefinger. "'My dear children,' said he, "'I have captured a wogglebug, a very rare and interesting specimen. Do any of you know what a wogglebug is?' "'No!' yelled the scholars in chorus. "'Then,' said the professor, "'I will get out my famous magnifying glass and throw the insect upon a screen in a highly magnified condition.' that you may all study carefully its peculiar construction and become acquainted with its habits and manner of life. Then he brought from a cupboard a most curious instrument, and before I could realize what had happened I found myself thrown upon a screen in a highly magnified state, even as you now behold me. The students stood upon their stools and craned their heads forward to get a better view of me, and two little girls jumped upon the sill of an open window where they could see more plainly. Behold! cried the professor in a loud voice, this 
highly magnified Wogglebug, one of the most curious bugs in existence. Being thoroughly educated, and knowing what is required of cultured gentlemen, at this juncture I stood upright, and, placing my hand upon my bosom, made a very polite bow. My action, being unexpected, must have startled them, for one of the little girls perched upon the window-sill gave a scream and fell backward out the window, drawing her companion with her as she disappeared. The professor uttered a cry of horror and rushed away through the door to see if the poor children were injured by the fall. The scholars followed after him in a wild mob, and I was left alone in the schoolroom, still in a highly magnified state and free to do as I pleased. It immediately occurred to me that this was a good opportunity to escape. I was proud of my great size, and realized that now I could safely travel anywhere in the world, while my superior culture would make me a fit associate for the most learned person I might chance to meet. So, while the professor picked the little girls, who were more frightened than hurt, off the ground, and the pupils clustered round him, closely grouped, I calmly walked out of the schoolhouse, turned a corner, and escaped unnoticed to a grove of trees that stood near. "'Wonderful!' exclaimed the pumpkin-head admiringly. "'It was, indeed,' agreed the Wogglebug. "'I have never ceased to congratulate myself for escaping while I was highly magnified, for even my excessive knowledge would have proved of little use to me had I remained a tiny, insignificant insect.' "'I didn't know before,' said Tip, looking at the Wogglebug with a puzzled expression, "'that insects wore clothes.' "'Nor do they, in their natural state,' returned the stranger. "'But, in the course of my wanderings, I had the good fortune to save the ninth life of a tailor. "'Tailors having, like cats, nine lives, as you probably know. "'The fellow was exceedingly grateful, for had he lost that ninth life, it would have been the end of him. "'So he begged permission to furnish me with the stylish costume I now wear. "'It fits very nicely, does it not?' "'And the Wogglebug stood up and turned himself around slowly, so that all might examine his person. "'He must have been a good tailor,' said the scarecrow somewhat enviously. "'He was a good-hearted tailor, at any rate,' observed Nick Chopper. "'But where were you going when you met us?' Tip asked the Wogglebug. "'Nowhere in particular,' was the reply. "'Although it is my intention soon to visit the Emerald City, "'and arrange to give a course of lectures to select audiences "'on the advantages of magnification.' "'We are bound for the Emerald City now,' said the Tin Woodman. "'So, if it pleases you to do so, you are welcome to travel in our company.' "'The Wogglebug bowed with profound grace. "'It will give me great pleasure,' said he, "'to accept your kind invitation.' "'for nowhere in the land of Oz could I hope to meet with so congenial a company.' "'That is true,' acknowledged the pumpkin-head. "'We are quite as congenial as flies and honey.' "'But pardon me if I seem inquisitive. "'Are you not all rather, <clears throat> rather, um, unusual?' "'asked the Wogglebug, looking from one to another with unconcealed interest. "'Not more so than yourself,' answered the Scarecrow. "'Everything in life is unusual until you get accustomed to it.' "'What rare philosophy!' exclaimed the Wogglebug admiringly. "'Yes, my brains are working well today,' admitted the Scarecrow, an accent of pride in his voice. "'Then, if you are sufficiently rested and refreshed, let us bend our steps toward the Emerald City,' suggested the magnified one. "'We can't!' 
said Tip. The sawhorse has a broken leg, so he can't bend his steps, and there's no wood around to make him a new limb from, and we can't leave the horse behind because the pumpkin head is so stiff in his joints that he has to ride. How very unfortunate, cried the wogglebug. Then he looked the party over carefully and said, If the pumpkin head is to ride, why not use one of his legs to make a leg for the horse that carries him? I judge that both are made of wood. Now that is what I call real cleverness, said the scarecrow approvingly. I wonder my brains did not think of that long ago. Get to work, my dear Nick, and fit the pumpkin's leg to the sawhorse. Jack was not especially pleased with this idea, but he submitted to having his left leg amputated by the tin woodman and whittled down to fit the left leg of the sawhorse. Nor was the sawhorse especially pleased with the operation either, for he growled a good deal about being butchered, as he called it, and afterward declared that the new leg was a disgrace to a respectable sawhorse. I beg you to be more careful in your speech, said the pumpkin head sharply. Remember, if you please, that it is my leg you are abusing. I cannot forget it, retorted the sawhorse, for it is quite as flimsy as the rest of your person. Flimsy? Me flimsy? cried Jack in a rage. How dare you call me flimsy? Because you are built as absurdly as a jumping jack, sneered the horse, rolling his naughty eyes in a vicious manner. Even your head won't stay straight, and you never can tell whether you are looking backwards or forwards. Friends, I entreat you not to quarrel, pleaded the tin woodman anxiously. As a matter of fact, we are none of us above criticism, so let us bear with each other's faults. An excellent suggestion, said the wogglebug approvingly. You must have an excellent heart, my metallic friend. I have, returned Nick, well pleased. My heart is quite the best part of me, but now let us start upon our journey. They perched the one-legged pumpkin head upon the sawhorse and tied him to his seat with cords so that he could not possibly fall off. And then, following the lead of the scarecrow, they all advanced in the direction of the Emerald City. End Chapter 13 There we go. All I was right. too busy in the chat room to uh, for transition music <laughs> again. <laughs> so, uh, better late than never. Yeah, we're going back to the Emerald City. Ah, yeah. Luckily, what... this is a lovely fairyland full of wonderful people. So they're going to go back to the Emerald City, and they're not going to be brutally murdered. Yeah. Um... Brutal murder. I mean, the, the worst I, uh, you know, is. Brutal murder it. never happens in Oz. I'm just going to give you that. I'm just going to. I'm going to. Random acts of house spoiler droppings. Spoiler that. Random acts yeah. of house droppings. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that is a brutal murder. You're right. So. <laughs> hmm. Well, that was it, it, rather brutal. It was kind this of was an before. accident. Go ahead. Yeah, it was an accident. This was before. This is all before World War One. You know, mm -hmm. think of a pre-mustard gas world. Yeah. Where? Yeah. So. All right. We're still a eagerly. Gun yeah. World, right? I mean, did uh, they discover machine guns? They had for things World like Gatling. I think so. They had things like Gatling guns. They were. They had a crank yeah. on them. They used to use those in the in the old west. That's true. Okay. All right. Amazingly, I, I a believe lot of, you on that. I'll believe your research. 
jump. Amazingly, there's a lot of modern warfare. Uh, Miles could tell you all about it. Like, I mean, you wouldn't believe yeah. you wouldn't believe like the earliest submarine stories and stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, crazy stuff like that. You know, projectiles, bombs, all that. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah. So um, shall we? Uh, shall we run along? Uh, we have. Um, our goal was to to get to at least seventeen tonight, and I think we can do it if we um if we plow through them. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Let's All just right. keep on keep on keeping on. All Chapter right. thirteen, right? Old Mombi indulges in witchcraft. Oh, this is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter 14 Old Mombi Indulges in Witchcraft They soon discovered that the sawhorse limped, for his new leg was a trifle too long, so they were obliged to halt while the tin woodman chopped it down with his axe after which the wooden steed paced along more comfortably. But the sawhorse was not entirely satisfied, even yet. "'It is a shame that I broke my other leg,' it growled. "'On the contrary,' airily remarked the wogglebug, who was walking alongside. "'You should consider the accident most fortunate, for a horse is never of much use until he has been broken.' "'I beg your pardon,' said Tip, rather provoked, for he felt a warm interest in both the sawhorse and his man Jack." "'But permit me to say that your joke is a poor one, and as old as it is poor.' "'Still, it is a joke,' declared the Wogglebug firmly. "'And a joke derived from a play upon words is considered among educated people to be eminently proper.' "'What does that mean?' inquired the Pumpkinhead stupidly. "'It means, my dear friend,' explained the Wogglebug, "'that our language contains many words having a double meaning, "'and that, to pronounce a joke that allows both meanings of a certain word, proves the joker a person of culture and refinement, who has, moreover, a thorough command of the language. "'I don't believe that,' said Tip plainly. "'Anybody can make a pun.' "'Not so,' rejoined the Wogglebug stiffly. "'It requires education of a high order. "'Are you educated, young sir?' "'Not especially,' admitted Tip. "'Then you cannot judge the matter. "'I myself am thoroughly educated.' and I say that puns display genius. For instance, were I to ride upon this sawhorse, he would not only be an animal, he would become an equipage, for he would then be a horse and buggy. At this the scarecrow gave a gasp, and the tin woodman stopped short and looked reproachfully at the wogglebug. At the same time the sawhorse loudly snorted his derision, and even the pumpkinhead put up his hand to hide the smile which, because it was carved upon his face, he could not change to a frown. But the Wogglebug strutted along as if he had made some brilliant remark, and the Scarecrow was obliged to say, I have heard, my dear friend, that a person can become overeducated, and although I have a high respect for brains, no matter how they may be arranged or classified, I begin to suspect that yours are slightly tangled. In any event, I must beg you to restrain your superior education while in our society. We are not very particular, added the tin woodman, and we are exceedingly kind-hearted, 
But if your superior culture gets leaky again, he did not complete the sentence, but he twirled his gleaming axe so carelessly that the wogglebug looked frightened and shrank away to a safe distance. The others marched on in silence, and the highly magnified one, after a period of deep thought, said in a humble voice, I will endeavor to restrain myself. That is all we can expect, returned the scarecrow pleasantly, and good nature being thus happily restored to the party, they proceeded upon their way. When they stopped again to allow Tip to rest, the boy being the only one that seemed to tire, though Tin Woodman noticed many small, round holes in the grassy meadow. This must be a village of the field mice, he said to the scarecrow. I wonder if my old friend the queen of the mice is in this neighborhood. If she is, she may be of great service to us, answered the scarecrow, who was impressed by a sudden thought. See if you can call her, my dear Nick. So the tin woodman blew a shrill note upon a silver whistle that hung around his neck, and presently a tiny gray mouse popped from a nearby hole and advanced fearlessly toward them. For the tin woodman had once saved her life, and the queen of the field mice knew he was to be trusted. Good day, your majesty, said Nick, politely addressing the mouse. I trust you are enjoying good health. Thank you, I am quite well, answered the queen demurely, as she sat up and displayed the tiny golden crown upon her head. Can I do anything to assist my old friends? You can indeed, replied the scarecrow angrily. Let me, I entreat you, take a dozen of your subjects with me to the Emerald City. Will they be injured in any way? asked the queen doubtfully. I think not, replied the scarecrow. I will carry them hidden in the straw which stuffs my body, and when I give them the signal by unbuttoning my jacket, they have only to rush out and scamper home again as fast as they can. By doing this, they will assist me to regain my throne, which the army of revolt has taken from me. In that case, said the queen, I will not refuse your request. Whenever you are ready, I will call twelve of my most intelligent subjects. I am ready now, returned the scarecrow. Then he lay flat upon the ground and unbuttoned his jacket, displaying the mass of straw with which he was stuffed. The queen uttered a little piping call, and in an instant a dozen pretty field mice had emerged from their holes and stood before their ruler awaiting her orders. What the queen said to them none of our travelers could understand, for it was in the mouse language, but the field mice obeyed without hesitation running one after the other to the scarecrow and hiding themselves in the straw of his breast. When all of the twelve mice had thus concealed themselves, the scarecrow buttoned his jacket securely and then arose and thanked the queen for her kindness. One thing more you might do to serve us, suggested the tin woodman, and that is to run ahead and show us the way to the Emerald City, for some enemy is evidently trying to prevent us from reaching it. I will do that gladly, returned the queen. Are you ready? The tin woodman looked at Tip. I'm rested, said the boy. Let us start. Then they resumed their journey, the little gray queen of the field mice running swiftly ahead and then pausing until the travelers drew near, when away she would dart again. Without this unerring guide, the scarecrow and his comrades might never have gained the Emerald City, for many were the obstacles thrown in their way by the arts of old Mombi. Yet, not one of the obstacles really existed. All were cleverly contrived deceptions, for when they came to the banks of a rushing river that threatened to bar their way, the little queen 
kept steadily on, passing through the seeming flood in safety, and our travelers followed her without encountering a single drop of water. Again a high wall of granite towered high above their heads and opposed their advance, but the gray field mouse walked straight through it, and the others did the same, the wall melting into mist as they passed it. Afterward, when they had stopped for a moment to allow Tip to rest, they saw forty roads branching off from their feet in forty different directions, and soon these forty roads began whirling around like a mighty wheel, first in one direction and then in the other, completely bewildering their vision. But the queen called for them to follow her, and darted off in a straight line, and when they had gone a few paces the whirling pathways vanished and were seen no more. Mombi's last trick was the most fearful of all. She sent a sheet of crackling flame rushing over the meadow to consume them, and for the first time the scarecrow became afraid and turned to fly. If that fire reaches me I will be gone in no time, said he, trembling until his straw rattled. It is the most dangerous thing I ever encountered. I'm off too, cried the sawhorse, turning and prancing with agitation, for my wood is so dry it would burn like kindling. Is fire dangerous to pumpkins? asked Jack fearfully. You'll be baked like a tart, and so will I, answered the wogglebug, getting down on all fours so he could run the faster. But the tin woodman, having no fear of fire, averted the stampede by a few sensible words. Look at the field mouse, he shouted. The fire does not burn her in the least. In fact, it is no fire at all, but only a deception. Indeed, to watch the little queen march calmly through the advancing flames restored courage to every member of the party, and they followed her without even being scorched. This is surely a most extraordinary adventure, said the wogglebug, who was greatly amazed, for it accepts all the natural laws that I heard Professor Know-it-all teach in the schoolhouse. Of course it does, said the scarecrow wisely. All magic is unnatural, and for that reason it is to be feared and avoided. But I see before us the gates of the Emerald City, so I imagine that we have now overcome all the magical obstacles that seemed to oppose us. Indeed, the walls of the city were plainly visible, and the queen of the field mice, who had guided them so faithfully, came near to bid them good-bye. "'We are very grateful to your majesty for your kind assistance,' said the tin woodman, bowing before the pretty creature. "'I am always pleased to be of service to my friends,' answered the queen, and in a flash— she had darted away upon her journey home. End chapter 14 There we go. Chapter 14. That was Coming fun. up on the Emerald City. Yeah, we're <clears> in there. Kiddo is in the Emerald City. Yeah. And it's Kiddo is looking great. This is Pay another... no attention to that kiddo behind the curtain. <laughs> So cute. Yeah, I that's love hysterical. It. Uh no, Very it's, it's iconic. Yeah, that's great. Um yeah, the the uh uh the penultimate scene of from the movie uh Foxfire has uh done a fine rendition of in um with Kiddo in place of the wizard. So mm -hmm. Yeah, a, that's cool. There's his it's tail great. behind the curtain. <laughs> It's hysterical. Which is just scarier, really. I mean, we're of course, we're like, oh, kiddo, his tail. But, you know, I saw that coming out from a curtain. I'd be like, what the heck's going on here? That's terrific. 
I love Why it. is this sea serpent filled with fire? Scared. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. So uh, no, I'm I'm uh, diligently uh, coloring, uh, coloring away. Oh, I'm gonna cool. turn this into uh, a lovely um, uh, edition of show art that everyone on the podcast can see. And I yeah. suggest uh, we're already at eight thirty six, so we better get rolling on on playing some more of these uh, and see what the Emerald City, what kind of condition the Emerald City's in since last we we left it. What do you say? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's right, keep, keep on going on the marvelous land. Chapter this 15. Chapter. Prisoners yeah. of the Queen. Mm-hmm. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum. Chapter 15. The Prisoners of the Queen Approaching the gateway of the Emerald City, the travelers found it guarded by two girls of the Army of Revolt, who opposed their entrance by drawing the knitting needles from their hair and threatening to prod the first that came near. But the Tin Woodman was not afraid. At the worst they can but scratch my beautiful nickel plate, he said. But there will be no worst, for I think I can manage to frighten these absurd soldiers very easily. Follow me closely, all of you. Then swinging his axe in a great circle to right and left before him, he advanced upon the gate, and the others followed him without hesitation. The girls, who had expected no resistance whatever, were terrified by the sweep of the glittering axe, and fled screaming into the city, so that our travelers passed the gates in safety and marched down the green marble pavement of the wide street toward the royal palace. "'At this rate we will soon have your majesty upon the throne again,' said the tin woodman, laughing at his easy conquest of the guards. "'Thank you, friend Nick,' returned the scarecrow gratefully. "'Nothing can resist your kind heart and your sharp axe.' As they passed rows of houses, they saw through the open doors that men were sweeping and dusting and washing dishes, while the women sat around in groups, gossiping and laughing. "'What has happened?' the scarecrow asked a sad-looking man with a bushy beard, who wore an apron and was wheeling a baby carriage along the sidewalk. "'Why, we've had a revolution, Your Majesty, as you ought to know very well,' replied the man. "'And, since you went away, the women have been running things to suit themselves.' I'm glad you have decided to come back and restore order, for doing housework and minding the children is wearing out the strength of every man in the Emerald City. Hmm, said the Scarecrow thoughtfully. If it is such hard work, as you say, how did the women manage it so easily? I really do not know, replied the man with a deep sigh. Perhaps the women are made of cast iron. No movement was made as they passed along the streets to oppose their progress. Several of the women stopped their gossip long enough to cast curious looks upon our friends, but immediately they would turn away with a laugh or a sneer and resume their chatter. And when they met with several girls belonging to the army of revolt, those soldiers, instead of being alarmed or appearing surprised, merely stepped out of the way and allowed them to advance without protest. This action rendered the Scarecrow uneasy. "'I am afraid we are walking into a trap,' he said. 
Nonsense, returned Nick Chopper confidently. The silly creatures are conquered already. But the scarecrow shook his head in a way that expressed doubt, and Tip said, It's too easy altogether. Look out for trouble ahead. I will, returned His Majesty. Unopposed, they reached the royal palace and marched up the marble steps, which had once been thickly crusted with emeralds. but were now filled with tiny holes where the jewels had been ruthlessly torn from their settings by the army of revolt, and so far not a rebel barred their way. Through the arched hallways and into the magnificent throne room marched the tin woodman and his followers, and here, when the green silken curtains fell behind them, they saw a curious sight. Seated within the glittering throne was General Ginger. With the scarecrow's second best crown upon her head and the royal sceptre in her right hand, a box of caramels from which she was eating rested in her lap, and the girl seemed entirely at ease in her royal surroundings. The scarecrow stepped forward and confronted her, while the tin woodman leaned upon his axe, and the others formed a half circle back of his majesty's person. How dare you sit in my throne? demanded the scarecrow, sternly eyeing the intruder. Don't you know you are guilty of treason, and that there is a law against treason? The throne belongs to whoever is able to take it, answered Ginger, as she slowly ate another caramel. I have taken it, as you see, so just now I am the queen, and all who oppose me are guilty of treason, and must be punished by the law you have just mentioned. This view of the case puzzled the scarecrow. How is it, friend Nick? he asked, turning to the tin woodman. Why, when it comes to law, I have nothing to say, answered the personage, for laws were never meant to be understood, and it is foolish to make the attempt. Then what shall we do? asked the scarecrow in dismay. Why don't you marry the queen, and then you can both rule? suggested the wogglebug. Ginger glared at the insect fiercely. Why don't you send her back to her mother where she belongs? asked Jack Pumpkinhead. Ginger frowned. Why don't you shut her up in a closet until she behaves herself and promises to be good? inquired Tip. Ginger's lip curled scornfully. Or give her a good shaking, added the sawhorse. No, said the tin woodman, we must treat the poor girl with gentleness. Let us give her all the jewels she can carry and send her away happy and contented. At this, Queen Ginger laughed aloud, and the next minute clapped her pretty hands together thrice, as if for a signal. You are very absurd creatures, said she, but I am tired of your nonsense and have no time to bother with you longer. While the monarch and his friends listened in amazement to this impudent speech, a startling thing happened. The tin woodman's axe was snatched from his grasp by some person behind him, and he found himself disarmed and helpless. At the same instant, a shout of laughter rang in the ears of the devoted band, and turning to see whence this came, they found themselves surrounded by the army of revolt, the girls bearing in either hand their glistening knitting needles. The entire throne room seemed to be filled with the rebels, and the scarecrow and his comrades realized that they were prisoners. You see how foolish it is to oppose a woman's wit, said Ginger gaily, and this event only proves that I am more fit to rule the Emerald City than a scarecrow. I bear you no ill will, I assure you. But lest you should prove troublesome to me in the future, I shall order you all to be destroyed. 
that is, all except the boy, who belongs to old Mombi, and must be restored to her keeping. The rest of you are not human, and therefore it will not be wicked to demolish you. The sawhorse and the pumpkin head's body I will have chopped up for kindling wood, and the pumpkin shall be made into tarts. The scarecrow will do nicely to start a bonfire, and the tin man can be cut into small pieces and fed to the goats. As for this immense woggle bug, highly magnified, if you please, interrupted the insect. I think I will ask the cook to make green turtle soup of you, continued the queen reflectively. The woggle bug shuddered. Or, if that won't do, we might use you for a Hungarian goulash, stewed and highly spiced, she added cruelly. This program of extermination was so terrible that the prisoners looked upon one another in a panic of fear. The scarecrow alone did not give way to despair. He stood quietly before the queen, and his brow was wrinkled in deep thought as he strove to find some means to escape. While thus engaged, he felt the straw within his breast move gently. At once his expression changed from sadness to joy, and raising his hand he quickly unbuttoned the front of his jacket. This action did not pass unnoticed by the crowd of girls clustering about him, but none of them suspected what he was doing until a tiny gray mouse leaped from his bosom to the floor and scampered away between the feet of the army of revolt. Another mouse quickly followed, then another, and another in rapid succession. And suddenly such a scream of terror went up from the army that it might easily have filled the stoutest heart with consternation. The flight that ensued turned to a stampede and the stampede to a panic. For while the startled mice rushed wildly about the room, the scarecrow had only time to note a whirl of skirts and a twinkling of feet as the girls disappeared from the palace, pushing and crowding one another in their mad efforts to escape. The queen, at the first alarm, stood up on the cushions of the throne and began to dance frantically upon her tiptoes. Then a mouse ran up the cushions, and with a terrified leap, poor Ginger shot clear over the head of the scarecrow and escaped through an archway, never pausing in her wild career until she had reached the city gates. So, in less time than I can explain, the throne room was deserted by all save the scarecrow and his friends, and the wogglebug heaved a deep sigh of relief as he exclaimed, Thank goodness we are saved! For a time, yes, answered the tin woodman, but the enemy will soon return, I fear. Let us bar all the entrances to the palace, said the scarecrow. Then we shall have time to think what is best to be done. So all except Jack Pumpkinhead, who was still tied fast to the sawhorse, ran to the various entrances of the royal palace and closed the heavy doors, bolting and locking them securely. Then, knowing that the army of revolt could not batter down the barriers in several days, the adventurers gathered once more in the throne room for a council of war. End chapter 15 Because girls are afraid of mice. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> I figured you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. I, General I Ginger, wow, she got she got a she got a little feisty there. Yeah, she got a little feisty. She did plan to kill all our friends because she called them not human. That wasn't cool, but um, at the same time, ladies afraid of mice. That is a eek eek mice. <laughs> it is a um, 
Yeah, it's a stereotype. Yeah. I've woken up in my house several times to dead mice. Sometimes live mice that my cats are chasing around that get in my house. Why they would come in here, they're idiots. Um, but yeah, so yeah, Foxfire said them girls are scared of mice. Seriously? Yeah. It's, it's, um, I didn't like it either, but I have officially lost all respect for the rebels. <laughs> well, at the same time, they did, they did say the, you know, the men are carrying around the babies and they don't like it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they can't do it and it's hard work and, and that's interesting. So, I don't know. Kiddo has officially been colorized. Ooh, nice. So, I, Look at uh, that. That's created, great. Created, generated several extra shades of green uh, for it. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because I was looking I at reference. Four uh, shades in yellow. Great. Yeah. Well, no, there. That's that's not yellow. That's green. The only there's the only it yellow is. on there is the flames and the font. So. Yeah, the flames. Yeah. That's awesome. So. Uh, yeah. Well, I had good stuff to work with. That you know, uh, her the transparency on these. Uh, uh, her uh, scans are just terrific. So, mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah. So there you go. Um, thank you uh, for doing the artwork as always. Uh, nice. We appreciate it. And um, all right. Well, uh, we we're all almost at our goal. We have chapters sixteen and seventeen to to get to. Oh, to finish the whole. Well, to Book finish what of we the marvelous no, land of Oz. No, no, no. To finish the part of the book we were planning on playing tonight. Oh, okay. Cool. So, okay. But um, we only have ten minutes left, but we've got twenty more minutes of story. So maybe we can go over ten minutes. Okay. So, uh, but here we go. Uh, this is chapter sixteen. Scarecrow takes the time to think. Good, good. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter 16 The Scarecrow Takes Time to Think It seems to me, began the Scarecrow, when all were again assembled in the throne room, that the girl Ginger is quite right in claiming to be queen. And if she is right, then I am wrong, and we have no business to be occupying her palace. But you were the king until she came, said the Wogglebug, strutting up and down with his hands in his pockets. So it appears to me that she is the interloper instead of you. Especially as we have just conquered her and put her to flight, added the pumpkin head as he raised his hands to turn his face toward the scarecrow. "'Have we really conquered her?' asked the Scarecrow quietly. "'Look out of the window and tell me what you see.' Tip ran to the window and looked out. "'The palace is surrounded by a double row of girl soldiers,' he announced. "'I thought so,' returned the Scarecrow. "'We are as truly their prisoners as we were before the mice frightened them from the palace.' "'My friend is right.' said Nick Chopper, who had been polishing his breast with a bit of camas leather. Ginger is still the queen, and we are her prisoners. But I hope she cannot get at us, exclaimed the pumpkin head with a shiver of fear. 
She threatened to make tarts of me, you know. Don't worry, said the Tin Woodman. It cannot matter greatly. If you stay shut up here, you will spoil in time anyway. A good tart is far more admirable than a decayed intellect. Very true, agreed the Scarecrow. Oh, dear, moaned Jack. What an unhappy lot is mine. Why, dear father, did you not make me out of tin, or even out of straw, so that I would keep indefinitely? Shucks, returned Tip indignantly. You ought to be glad that I made you at all. Then he added reflectively, Everything has to come to an end sometime. But I beg to remind you, broke in the Wogglebug, who had a distressed look in his bulging round eyes, that this terrible Queen Ginger suggested making a goulash of me. Me, the only highly magnified and thoroughly educated Wogglebug in the wide, wide world. I think it was a brilliant idea, remarked the Scarecrow approvingly. Don't you imagine he would make a better soup? asked the Tin Woodman, turning towards his friend. Well, perhaps, acknowledged the Scarecrow. The Wogglebug groaned. I can see in my mind's eye, said he mournfully, the goats eating small pieces of my dear comrade, the Tin Woodman, while my soup is being cooked on a bonfire built of the sawhorse and Jack Pumpkinhead's body, and Queen Ginger watches me boil while she feeds the flames with my friend, the Scarecrow. This morbid picture cast a gloom over the entire party, making them restless and anxious. It can't happen for some time, said the Tin Woodman, trying to speak cheerfully, for we shall be able to keep Ginger out of the palace until she manages to break down the doors. And in the meantime, I'm liable to starve to death, and so is the Wogglebug, announced Tip. As for me, said the Wogglebug, I think that I could live for some time on Jack Pumpkinhead. Not that I prefer pumpkins for food, but I believe they are somewhat nutritious, and Jack's head is large and plump. How heartless! exclaimed the Tin Woodman, greatly shocked. Are we cannibals, let me ask, or are we faithful friends? I see very clearly that we cannot stay shut up in this palace, said the Scarecrow with decision. So let us end this mournful talk and try to discover a means to escape. At this suggestion they all gathered eagerly around the throne, wherein was seated the scarecrow, and as Tip sat down upon a stool, there fell from his pocket a pepper box which rolled upon the floor. What is this? asked Nick Chopper, picking up the box. Be careful, cried the boy. It's my powder of life. Don't spill it, for it is nearly gone. And what is the powder of life? inquired the scarecrow as Tip replaced the box carefully in his pocket. It's some magical stuff old Mombi got from a crooked sorcerer, explained the boy. She brought Jack to life with it, and afterward I used it to bring the sawhorse to life. I guess it will make anything live that is sprinkled with it. But there's only one dose left. Then it is very precious, said the tin woodman. Indeed it is, agreed the scarecrow. It may prove our best means of escape from our difficulties. I believe I will think for a few minutes, so I will thank you, friend Tip, to get out your knife and rip this heavy crown from my forehead. Tip soon cut the stitches that had fastened the crown to the scarecrow's head, and the former monarch of the Emerald City removed it with a sigh of relief and hung it on a peg beside the throne. That is my last memento of royalty, said he. 
and I'm glad to get rid of it. The former king of the city, who was named Pastoria, lost the crown to the wonderful wizard, who passed it on to me. Now the girl Ginger claims it, and I sincerely hope it will not give her a headache. A kindly thought, which I greatly admire, said the tin woodman, nodding approvingly. And now I will indulge in a quiet think, continued the scarecrow, lying back in the throne. The others remained as silent and still as possible, so as not to disturb him, for all had great confidence in the extraordinary brains of the scarecrow. And after what seemed a very long time indeed to the anxious watchers, the thinker sat up, looked upon his friends with his most whimsical expression, and said, My brains work beautifully today. I'm quite proud of them. Now listen, if we attempt to escape through the doors of the palace, we shall surely be captured. And as we cannot escape through the ground, there is only one other thing to be done. We must escape through the air. He paused to note the effect of these words, but all his hearers seemed puzzled and unconvinced. The wonderful wizard of Oz escaped in a balloon, he continued. We don't know how to make a balloon, of course, but any sort of thing that can fly through the air can carry us easily. So I suggest that my friend the Tin Woodman, who is a skilled mechanic, shall build some sort of a machine with good strong wings to carry us, and our friend Tip can then bring the thing to life with his magical powder. Bravo! cried Nick Chopper. What splendid brains! murmured Jack. Really quite clever! said the educated Wogglebug. I believe it can be done, declared Tip. That is, if the Tin Woodman is eagle to making the thing. I'll do my best, said Tip cheerily. And, as a matter of fact, I do not often fail in what I attempt. But the thing will have to be built on the roof of the palace so that it can rise comfortably into the air. To be sure, said the Scarecrow. Then let us search through the palace, continued the Tin Woodman, and carry all the material we can find to the roof where I will begin my work. First, however, said the Pumpkin Head, I beg you will release me from this horse and make me another leg to walk with. For in my present condition I am of no use to myself or to anyone else. So the Tin Woodman knocked a mahogany center table to pieces with his axe and fitted one of the legs, which was beautifully carved, to the body of Jack Pumpkinhead, who was very proud of the acquisition. It seems strange, he said, as he watched the Tin Woodman work, that my left leg should be the most eloquent and substantial part of me. That proves you are unusual, returned the scarecrow, and I am convinced that the only people worthy of consideration in this world are the unusual ones, for the common folks are like the leaves of a tree and live and die unnoticed. Spoken like a philosopher, cried the wogglebug as he assisted the tin woodman to set Jack upon his feet. How do you feel now? asked Tip, watching the pumpkin head stump around to try his new leg. As good as new, answered Jack joyfully, and quite ready to assist you all to escape. Then let us get to work, said the scarecrow in a businesslike tone. So glad to be doing anything that might lead to the end of their captivity, the friends separated to wander over the palace in search of fitting material to use in the construction of their aerial machine. End chapter 16. <laughs> Well, well, well. Well, well. 
aerial machine. Talking Looks about. like that's where we're ending. Right at nine o'clock. Good job. Well, uh, either that, but we didn't hit our goal of getting the chapter seventeen. So no, we we, we could, didn't. But we can we can we'll we'll save it. So yeah. So you said we have how many chapters are in the in the uh, twenty four, and we just got oh, up to 24. sixteen. So. And chapter eighteen's a long one, but we'll we'll uh, yeah. we'll go along on Thursday if we have to. To I mean, we could go finish. over if you want. Do you want to go over? Um, it might be smart do you to try do another and, chapter. It might be smart to try and play the next chapter and then wrap it up. I'm into it. Let's All right. do it. All right, so we're gonna leave off with the astonishing flight of the Gump. Oh, this is the best. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter 17 The Astonishing Flight of the Gump When the adventurers reassembled upon the roof, it was found that a remarkably queer assortment of articles had been selected by the various members of the party. No one seemed to have a very clear idea of what was required, but all had brought something. The Wogglebug had taken from its position over the mantelpiece in the great hallway the head of a gump, which was adorned with wide-spreading antlers, and this with great care and great difficulty the insect had carried up the stairs to the roof. This gump resembled an elk's head, only the nose turned upward in a saucy manner, and there were whiskers upon its chin like those of a billy goat. Why the Wogglebug selected this article he could not have explained, except that it had aroused his curiosity. Tip, with the aid of the sawhorse, had brought a large upholstered sofa to the roof, it was an old-fashioned piece of furniture, with high back and ends, and it was so heavy that even by resting the greatest weight upon the back of the sawhorse, the boy found himself out of breath when at last the clumsy sofa was dumped upon the roof. The pumpkin head had brought a broom, which was the first thing he saw. The scarecrow arrived with a coil of clothes-lines and ropes which he had taken from the courtyard, and in his trip up the stairs he had become so entangled in the loose ends of the ropes that both he and his burden tumbled in a heap upon the roof, and might have rolled off if Tip had not rescued him. The tin woodman appeared last. He also had been in the courtyard, where he had cut four great spreading leaves from a huge palm-tree that was the pride of all the inhabitants of the Emerald City. "'My dear Nick!' exclaimed the Scarecrow, seeing what his friend had done. "'You've been guilty of the greatest crime any person can commit in the Emerald City. If I remember rightly, the penalty for chopping leaves from the royal palm-tree is to be killed seven times, and afterward imprisoned for life.' "'It cannot be helped now,' answered the tin woodman, throwing down the big leaves upon the roof. "'But it may be one more reason why it is necessary for us to escape. "'And now let us see what you have found for me to work with.' Many were the doubtful looks cast upon the heap of miscellaneous material that now cluttered the roof, and finally the scarecrow shook his head and remarked, 
Well, if friend Nick can manufacture from this mess of rubbish a thing that will fly through the air and carry us to safety, then I will acknowledge him to be a better mechanic than I suspected. But the Tin Woodman seemed at first by no means sure of his powers, and only after polishing his forehead vigorously with the camas leather did he resolve to undertake the task. The first thing required for the machine, he said, is a body big enough to carry the entire party, and this sofa is the biggest thing we have, and might be used for a body, but should the machine ever tip sideways, we would all slide off and fall to the ground. Why not use two sofas? asked Tip. There's another one just like this downstairs. That's a very sensible suggestion, exclaimed the Tin Woodman. You must fetch the other sofa at once. So Tip and the sawhorse managed, with much labor, to get the second sofa to the roof, and when the two were placed together edge to edge, the backs and ends formed a protecting rampart all around the seats. Excellent! cried the scarecrow. We can ride within this snug nest quite at our ease. The two sofas were now bound firmly together with ropes and clotheslines, and then Nick Chopper fastened the gump's head to one end. That will show which is the front end of the thing, said he, greatly pleased with the idea. And really, if you examine it critically, the gump looks very well as a figurehead. These great palm leaves, for which I have endangered my life seven times, must serve us as wings. Are they strong enough? asked the boy. They're as strong as anything we can get, answered the woodman. And although they are not in proportion to the thing's body, we are not in a position to be very particular. So he fastened the palm leaves to the sofas, two on each side, said the wogglebug with considerable admiration. The thing is now complete, and only needs to be brought to life. Stop a moment, exclaimed Jack. Are you not going to use my broom? What for? asked the scarecrow. Why, it can be fastened to the back end for a tail, answered the pumpkin head. Surely you would not call the thing complete without a tail. Hmm, said the tin woodman. I do not see the use of a tail. We are not trying to copy a beast or a fish or a bird. All we ask of the thing is to carry us through the air. Perhaps, after the thing is brought to life, it can use a tail to steer with, suggested the scarecrow. For if it flies through the air, it will not be unlike a bird, and I've noticed that all birds have tails, which they use like a rudder while flying. Very well, answered Nick. The broom shall be used for a tail, and he fastened it firmly to the back end of the sofa body. Tip took the pepper box from his pocket. The thing looks very big, he said anxiously, and I'm not sure there is enough powder left to bring all of it to life. "'but I'll make it go as far as possible.' "'Put most on the wings,' said Nick Chopper, "'for they must be as strong as possible.' "'And don't forget the head!' exclaimed the Wogglebug. "'Or the tail,' added Jack Pumpkinhead. "'Do be quiet,' said Tip nervously. "'You must give me a chance to work the magic charm in the proper way.' "'Very carefully he began sprinkling the thing with the precious powder.' Each of the four wings was first lightly covered with a layer, then the sofas were sprinkled, and the broom given a light coating. "'The head! The head! Don't, I beg of you, forget the head!' cried the Wogglebug excitedly. "'There's only a little of the powder left,' announced Tip, looking within the box, "'and it seems to me 
It is more important to bring the legs of the sofas to life than the head. Not so, decided the scarecrow. Everything must have a head to direct it, and since the creature is to fly and not walk, it is really unimportant whether its legs are alive or not. So Tip abided by this decision and sprinkled the gump's head with the remainder of the powder. Now, said he, keep silence while I work the charm. Having heard old Mombi pronounce the magic words, and having also succeeded in bringing the sawhorse to life, Tip did not hesitate an instant in speaking the three cabalistic words, each accompanied by the peculiar gesture of the hands. It was a grave and impressive ceremony. As he finished the incantation, the thing shuddered throughout its huge bulk, the gump gave the screeching cry that is familiar to those animals, and then the four wings began flapping furiously. Tip managed to grasp a chimney, else he would have been blown off the roof by the terrible breeze raised by the wings. The scarecrow, being light in weight, was caught up bodily and borne through the air until Tip luckily seized him by one leg and held him fast. The wogglebug lay flat upon the roof and so escaped harm and the tin woodman, whose weight of tin anchored him firmly, threw both arms around Jack Pumpkinhead and managed to save him. The sawhorse toppled over upon his back and lay with his legs waving helplessly above him. And now, while all were struggling to recover themselves, the thing rose slowly from the roof and mounted into the air. "'Here, come back!' cried Tip in a frightened voice as he clung to the chimney with one hand and the scarecrow with the other. "'Come back at once, I command you!' It was now that the wisdom of the scarecrow in bringing the head of the thing to life instead of the legs was proved beyond a doubt. For the gump, already high in the air, turned its head at Tip's command and gradually circled around until it could view the roof of the palace. "'Come back!' shouted the boy again, and the gump obeyed, slowly and gracefully waving its four wings in the air until the thing had settled once more upon the roof and become still. End Chapter 17 Whoop whoop! That's it. End chapter 17. The Marvelous Land of Oz. Yes. We did it, and we got to the gump. And the gump. I love I, the gump. I think the gump is the cozy couch and the magician. Yeah. Um, but that's another story, and uh, if anybody watched all the magicians and read the books like I did. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tell me. But yeah, we got to wrap things up. Let's wrap it up. Yeah, and I just wanted to say, I think uh, judging from this, this sounds like this part of the book was adapted for the Gump scene in Return to Oz because the creatures mm-hmm. exactly, you know, it pretty much went down the same way except you had TikTok there instead of the Tin Woodsman. Or, uh, yeah. And, um... And, uh, but Jack Pumpkinhead was there, but it was mm-hmm. Dorothy Gale and not Tip, because, of course, yep. people are going to be like, oh, well, it's not Oz without Dorothy. Well, it yeah. still is Oz without Dorothy. Yeah, well, guess know. what? A lot of things, some things happened when Dorothy wasn't in Oz. And yep. this is, actually, it's kind of funny that everybody's saying that, because these were the letters that Frank L. was getting, uh, L. Frank Baum was getting through snail mail mm-hmm. about this. He wrote this book. The Marvelous Land of Oz about what happened after Dorothy left. And kids were writing him letters like crazy. Where's Dorothy? What's happening? Who's this tip character? Why? We want more. We want more. And I, d- uh, I dig tip. that's what the chat room's saying too, which is 
hysterical. So hey, hey Tennessee, stop. Oh, Tennessee, he's Scr- bad. Scratching he's a my nasty amp- little thing. Scratching yeah, my amplifier. Yeah, the the filmmakers do whatever the filmmakers. And I guess mm-hmm. what you know what I really hate about filmmakers. They all got to put their little impression on everything. And I don't know who they are. I don't follow filmmakers, and they get on my nerves. You have opinions so, anyway, about filmmakers. The next book after The Marvelous Land of Oz is Ozma of Oz. So We'll serialize that, and we'll tell everybody. Anything yeah, could happen. We'll give everybody the update for what direction we're Oz. going. For the what we're going to be doing on Thursdays. So we'll let yes. everybody know the new name of the show. And all that fun stuff. It's a cool name. Wow, anything could happen. Okay. So, Alright. And thank you, Joe, for your fun art and definitely big kudos to uh to Foxfire for giving For the us kiddo. The for kiddo, kiddo and his new look. He's awesome. Yeah. Alright. Yep. I'm done. Good night, everybody. Alright. Good night. Fairy Lights for Fairy Nights. It's a blast bringing this stuff to you. Radioforhumans.com Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain!